Welcome to the Positive Education Podcast. I'm your host, Rhiannon McGee. The Positive Education Podcast aims to engage with experts in the field of wellbeing and positive education in order to provide you with insights and strategies to advance positive education in your school environments and beyond. Today on the show, we have Dr. Susie Green. Dr. Susie Green is a clinical and coaching psychologist and founder and CEO of the Positivity Institute, a positively deviant organisation dedicated to the research and application of positive psychology for life, school and work. She is a leader in the complementary fields of coaching psychology and positive psychology, having conducted a world-first study on evidence-based coaching as an applied positive psychology Susie was the recipient of an International Positive Psychology Fellowship Award and has published in the Journal of Positive Psychology. She lectured on applied positive psychology as a senior adjunct lecturer in the Coaching Psychology Unit, University of Sydney, for 10 years and is an honorary vice president of the International School for Coaching Psychology. Susie also currently holds honorary academic positions at the Centre for Positive Psychology at the University of Melbourne as well as the Black Dog Institute, and she is an affiliate of the Institute for Wellbeing, Cambridge University. Susie was the stress-less expert for Australian Women's Health magazine and the positive psychology expert for Muse magazine. Susie is an official ambassador for the Starlight Children's Foundation, and she maintains a strong media profile appearing on television, radio and in print. Well, Susie, welcome to the Positive Education Podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Oh, great. Uh, very pleased, Brianne, and thanks for asking me. Well, Susie, I'd just love to hear um, a little bit about your journey into positive education as a leader and an early adopter in the field. Oh, thanks, Rhiannon. And it has been a, a long journey, but a very meaningful journey for me. And uh, I usually say that my work in education or pos ed is my most meaningful work. I never really predicted or saw this coming. So I do feel that it is a calling uh, in, in many ways for me. And I guess it is a matter, I, I believe I've been, in, I've been in the right place at the right time. And uh, I've really grown up um, with positive psychology and positive ed and, and also coaching psychology. And in fact, Rhiannon, and I've been describing myself recently as the love child of positive psychology and coaching <laughs> psychology. <laughs> That's a beautiful um, way to describe it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so look, I really did, uh, you know, I, I guess after my doctoral research, which was on evidence-based coaching with, with a, a general population, a community sample, in my first class teaching at Sydney Uni where I taught applied post-psych, my very first year of teaching, I had a school counsellor in there and she was just, you know, absolutely inspired inspired by hearing about the work that I'd done and asked me whether we could run a coaching study at her school, which was MLC school in Burwood. And mm. um, that led to two studies, two randomised controlled trials at MLC school. They're both published and they're both available uh, through ResearchGate and academia.edu uh, free if you sign up or, you know, people more than welcome for them to email me directly for copies of those articles. The first one was a student coaching program uh, where we trained uh, teachers. I wrote a teacher's coach program and where the teachers coached the students. Uh, we got some fantastic results, increases in uh, hope, uh, which uh, you know Snyder and Lopez's work, uh, increases in hardiness, which is a form of resilience, and actually reductions in depression. 
Uh, and so then the teachers that we train basically said, we need this more than the students. Can you come back and coach us? <laughs> so I took in some of, I guess, more professional coaches, uh, students from the Sydney Uni Masters, and they provided one-on-one -on -one coaching to the teachers. The teachers had a 360 leadership feedback survey, which most of them had never undertaken, received some feedback and then set some goals off the back of that. And again, we were able to show increases in goal attainment, uh, increases in well-being and cognitive hardiness, resilience and significant reductions in stress. So, you know, that was great uh, research. And then uh, leading on from that, more recently, 2016, I was involved in a study uh, with uh, my colleague Eileen Doolagil and also Madonna Ahern, who uh, mm. is uh, up at Mount St. Michael's. And uh, they are uh, definitely one of the leading schools, I would say, one of the pioneers in adopting a coaching approach. And so that study is also published and available. And that was uh, teachers, again, working with students. It wasn't a randomised control trial. It was a within subjects. But we were able to show, again, coaching, teacher coaching with year 11 students led to increases in well-being, hope, resilience and reductions in depression, anxiety and stress. And that in fact was a pilot study uh, that the school required before it was rolled out and now year 11 students at, all year 11 students at Mount St Michael are, inform, are involved in some form of coaching for themselves and more recently they're actually coaching the year 7 so they've got Fantastic. a team coaching arrangement set up there too. It's so exciting. I know, Susie, your your PhD, is is it right? Am I right in saying that that was the first uh, PhD in that positive psychology space in Australia? Yeah. And look, it wasn't technically a PhD. It was a doctorate in clinical psychology. So I was um, doing a master's in clin psych and expanded that to a doctorate. It's a professional doctorate in clinical psych. So, I mean, you get your registration and as a clinical psychologist, but you do an additional year, you do a research study. And I guess Ooh. back in 2001 to 2003, yeah. where all my buddies were doing research on depression and anxiety, I was doing a life <laughs> coaching study. And yes, you're right. It was the first Australian published study in the Journal of Positive Psychology and uh, my co-authors who were also my supervisors were um, Professor Lindsay Oates who you would mm. know is now the Director of the Positive Psychology Centre at Melbourne Uni and uh, Professor Anthony Grant who heads up the Coaching Psychology Unit. So again I feel very very blessed to have been yeah. involved and at the right place at the right time. And it's just so wonderful to see the research that has emerged, I suppose, from from that those early stages. And I really feel that you and, and the colleagues that you've mentioned have led the way, I suppose, in research and coaching in educational settings and, and the wellbeing benefits of coaching in that context. So I know that I all those uh, articles that you mentioned, I cited a great deal when I was studying my map um, and it's good to hear that there's more research coming out from the educational context. For our listeners, uh, Susie, who may not be as familiar with coaching, they might be more familiar with ed positive education. Can you provide a little insight into obviously um, the wellbeing benefits associated with coaching but then how coaching and POSED are really complementary approaches? Yeah, so um, positive psychology being, you know, to formally defined as the science of optimal human functioning um, and science of well-being, we often uh, refer to as well. And coaching is really about unlocking a person's potential. It's also about optimal functioning. But I guess for me, the way that they work perfectly together is, and we are seeing a lot of schools investing in training um, mm. on the science of positive psychology, positive 
positive education. Um, we actually know from research that the takeaway from training is less than 10%. So unless you have some sort of methodology for transfer of training, um, and also in a sense to make that training personally meaningful to the participants, you're, you know, for me, it's you know you're at risk of um, time, waste of time, and waste of money. So coaching really is a methodology to take information and knowledge to make it personally meaningful. And whether you do that through explicit goal setting, and there's still debate around how explicit you need to be with goals, but in a sense, if you can make some um, sense out of the information that you've gained through, through the training, think about how it applies to your life and then what you're going to do. And of course, I'm gonna argue for the fact that, which the research supports that taking possibly more of an explicit coaching approach, whether that's with mm. a professional coach, it could just be a peer coach, um, mm. you're going to enhance your transfer of training and really see that investment come to life. And Susie, I, I suppose that applies not just to training teachers in positive education and wellbeing, but also the, the explicit teaching of positive education that's happening in a lot of schools. It's almost as if you've got this, I often say, this kind of one-size-fits-all approach through positive education and, and, and wellbeing training, I suppose, for teachers. But then coaching allows a more differentiated integration, perhaps, into your life and into your your practice so staff and students can set goals around their well-being that are much more relevant to them than perhaps some of the broader brush approaches that might happen through training and pos-ed. Yeah, look, there's actually multiple benefits to coaching. It yeah. probably wouldn't hurt for me just to spell a few of them out because there are yeah. a lot of misconceptions about what it is and what it's mm. not. And to be honest, Rhiannon, I don't feel generally in the positive community that it's fully understood mm. the benefits that it can be made. I mean, even in the fairly recent IPEN report 2017, um, there was one reference to coaching in the IPEN report and it was in the references. Um, mm. So, you know, I think we've still got a long way to go. But if you think, first and foremost, the studies that I've done have shown coaching as usual. So this is without any positive, explicit positive psychology filtered mm. through it. So just setting a personally meaningful goal. And we usually suggest to students what an academic and a personal goal to balance, yep. balance it out a little. And we've got numerous studies now to show that working on it and that's the key personally meaningful goal leads to increases in psychological well and subjective well-being so coaching in and of itself working on a personally something that's important to you and making progress towards it on a daily basis well-being is is going to you know emanate from from that right so that's just by itself so it's really um, uh, you've said before it's a positive psychology intervention in and of itself that's it. And it's been yeah. included in three meta-analyses now to show that it's a positive psychology intervention in and of itself. You know, you, you may be aware my colleague, Shauna, Dr. Sean O'Connor from Sydney Uni and I uh, co-authored a chapter uh, in the Future Directions and Wellbeing book uh, by Matthew White and authors. Mm -hmm. And in that chapter, we argued that it's an amplifier, actually, of, mm -hmm. of every other positive psychology intervention. So again, as I was saying before, if you're teaching posed, and it could be, you know, just a, a lesson focused on strengths or gratitude, and you take uh, a coaching approach where you set a goal around, how am I going to use strengths in my life? Are there strengths that I want to wind up or wind down? Then you're using coaching to amplify every other positive psychology intervention. So it's an amplifier. But I think one of the absolute 
cause and you know greatest benefits for it so coaching's been used extensively in the corporate sector for many years for achievement mm. and we there's no doubt for a performance and, and you know for schools that are interested in which i know they are in achievement why wouldn't you look at it? But for me, coaching is very much about building, creating positive relationships and bringing out the best in people. So when we're training, whether it be teachers or students in coaching, we actually start the training with the micro skills of coaching. Mm. Now, for anyone that's done any counselling, uh, even whether it be lifeline counselling or counselling, you know, professional counselling, the basic skills that you learn are how to build empathy and how to build rapport with someone, um, you know, to build a positive relationship. So coaching, when you're learning coaching, you're learning these micro skills of building a positive relationship. So if you think about PERMA, and in fact, uh, Clive Leach, my colleague, Daniela Pilecki and myself have a chapter called PERMA Powered Coaching in um my co-edited book, Positive Psychology Coaching in Practice, where we talk about how coaching can be used to build every aspect of PERMA. But for mm. me, as we know, positive relations, relationships being, you know, fundamental to well-being, then teaching the skills of how to connect with people, how to build rapport and how to build empathy, then that's probably one of its most powerful benefits. And really that's where we're looking at, you know, uh, cultivating positive school culture then, aren't we, Susie? It's, it's beyond yeah. the individual. It's about collective well-being. And then, and then it makes me think of this focus more recently perhaps on a coaching culture and how we might cult cultivate a coaching culture within a school context. Could you share a little bit of insight for our listeners on what, what a coaching culture actually is? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, firstly, we need to differentiate formal from informal coaching. Mm. So there is, you know, formal coaching exists in schools. When we started to, you know, work with schools, we became aware that not all schools, but a lot of schools were using coaching, but only for the leaders. And as I said before, in the corporate sector, that's, you know, existed for a long time, that if you're in a leadership position, you would access um, in many cases, a professional coach to help you manage the challenges and to perform at your best. So when I, as I said, moved into POSED, I wasn't surprised to hear that schools were using leadership coaching for their leaders. So that's mm -hmm. one part of it, and that can exist as formal coaching. But the way that we've brought coaching into positive education and a number of the chapters that I've co-authored on that is about extending that. So you teach all staff. So our training on POSIT in schools, we have at least one day dedicated to evidence-based coaching skills for all staff. And again, this is not teaching teachers to be professional coaches because we'd recommend you do a master's if that's something mm -hmm. that you want to do as a profession. But this is about learning the skills for a coaching approach. And I guess we would be arguing that these skills really should be taught in pre-service education. And um, I'd like to think that they're starting to be. I'm not sure if that's the case. But really, again, if you think about these coaching skills for not just teachers, educators, but anyone working in a school in an informal sense is how to pose a question, you know, how mm. to actively listen. Again, how to draw out the best in people. When somebody or a student or a staff member comes to you with a problem, how to use a solution-focused coaching question. Um, so again, there's this there's formal coaching and there's a place for that at the leadership level. Uh, it could be, um, you know, when staff 
more broadly might require some one-on-one and we've coached staff members beyond the leadership but then you know there's also the opportunities for students to potentially have external professional coaching uh, which we're aware that some are Um, and then there's this informal coaching which is this more coaching approach or corridor coaching Um, but really in terms of a coaching culture it's where everybody is using I guess this coaching approach having using solution focused questions but you've also got a strategy around uh, external coaching so when do we use external coaches who do we use what are the qualifications of the people that we bring in what sort of training do we want to provide our staff um, do we want to have a team of coaching champions that really then become more competent and drive it within the school so you're relying less on external coaches and consultants if you like and then you know and looking at how we're using coaching for our students how we're using coaching with our parents so it's a strategy and and I guess it's across the culture. Mm, And I know that, you know, you will have seen so many different entry points for schools, I suppose, Susie, in cultivating a coaching culture or or bringing coaching into um, their everyday practice. Could you, I think you've already given us an example of really an exemplar school. Could you give us a couple more examples perhaps of of ways in for, for those who are listening who really love the idea of coaching but maybe don't know where to start? Yeah, look, I think I'd definitely recommend, um, and again, very happy to send some uh, recommended readings. I've got a couple of key chapters where we particularly give a great overview of how it fits from a pos-ed perspective. Um, But I think, you know, we always start with look at what you're doing already. So some of the schools Mm. we've been approached by have utilised other coaching providers, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, And I guess it's like, not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but you know, if, if a certain approach has worked, we'll stick with that. But you might then look to expand. But then we've met other schools that haven't really done anything. Um, but I think you know, I would definitely do some research before you intend to roll it out. Uh, perhaps trial it with a, you know, as I said before, a, a group of uh, interested educators. Um, we usually suggest that you might potentially bring in, which I know I think I did with when you were at Loretto Turak, um, you know, do a keynote to all the staff to sort of bust the myth. So there's an expert comes in, does a bit of myth busting, and then you tap into the intrinsic interest and motivation of the staff that want to learn a bit more. Um, but I do think that there's benefit in all staff learning, as I said, the basic coaching skills, because it helps you become, I think, a better teacher, a better person, um, and yeah, bringing out the best in people. And then there are some schools that have, I guess, been more focused on the students um, and or more focused on the staff. Um, so it depends where you're at and where you want to, want to start. I, I probably, possibly would recommend starting with the staff and getting some feedback because as you know uh, it, it's quite difficult to implement it can be quite difficult to implement uh, coaching in a school because you've got limited time um, and there's a couple of schools we're working with at the moment that are trialing uh, a little mini coaching session for the year sevens coming in prior to actually commencing year seven so they set up a uh, an intro to meet um, their uh, you know, year coordinator uh, or their tutor, uh, and they have a mini coaching session with them prior to coming in around what, you know, what are their goals? What are they hoping to get out of, you know, the first year, for example? 
So they're sort of trialing that. And then, you know, the challenges are where, if we are going to do this, I guess, more formally, where are we going to fit it? So if you think about Mount St. Michael, they've, they're actually offering their coaching program within a dedicated posed lesson. So it, it times always the challenges you know, Rhiannon. Yes. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I think uh, the examples you've given, Susie, just show that every school environment is different and those of us who are leading within a school and those of us who are working with leaders in schools, as you do, really have to find that entry point which is going to be different in every different context and and then once yeah. once there's the momentum once you've got some champions and there's um some buy-in then it's about how do we make this a sustainable part of our approach and then it just has to be about where do we find the time that's you know, it um, and I think I mean mm. some of the work we did at Loretto Turak was mm. around um you know the staff professional development as well and I mean most schools are you know do require staff to to do some goal setting around performance yes. and develop and professional development. So it's a good place to start if you're already going to do that anyway. The coaching, from my experience, can actually make help people move from more of an extrinsic, oh, I have to do this, have to set these goals, to uh, by using a coaching approach, how can this, how does this actually align with my values? You know, how can I actually make this an enjoyable process? And then once the staff have had the experience of how it's really helped them, then they're going to be more motivated to roll it out to the students as and, well. And that's really the principle we um, approach uh, positive education, professional learning with, I suppose. It's about having that personal experience so you can you can understand the benefits before you bring it into your, your the classroom environment or the broader school environment. That learn, live, teach, embed approach really applies Absolutely. to coaching as well, doesn't it? And, and for yeah. our listeners, I suppose, just a couple of examples. So Susie and I worked together at my previous school, Loretto Tourac, in uh, bringing uh, the focus was on cultivating a coaching culture and yes we began with a um, introductory session for all staff we'd been probably three years down the track with positive education and then felt that coaching was the next step for us and we'd already had some some experience with coaching um, good and bad in the past and so Susie then after uh, providing a broader focus on coaching and positive education then um, provided some more uh, specific professional learning for our coaching champions um, who elected to really uh, engage with coaching in a more meaningful way. And, and that work has continued on and I suppose informed the ongoing evolution of POSED at, at Loretto. And and I know yeah. that, yeah, really something that really inspired me at a conference I went to two or three years ago, probably even longer ago actually, um, with Christian van Nieuwenberg speaking about peer coaching, students coaching students, yeah. you know, the the power in this uh, context where we're constantly talking about um, preparing our students for uh career environments where we don't know what we're preparing our students for but we know we need to equip them with skills that can make them adaptable for a 21st century uh, environment and and coaching really is one way of doing that so that that really inspired me and I think there are some schools who are really starting to look at how we can equip our students with coaching skills and um, that that was part of part of the vision at Loretto and that's what we're trying to do here at Geelong Grammar as well and I'm sure you're coming across a lot of examples of that as well. Susie. Yeah, absolutely. And particularly because, as I said before, it's 
coaching has been used extensively in the corporate sector for many years. So to have a student, if I mean, if that is the career path, not, not everyone will take that career yeah. path, but for those students going in, and in fact, when we ran our study at, at North Sydney um, a number of years ago, North Sydney High with Jackie Norrish, mm. uh, the coaching intervention versus the positive psych intervention. And when I went to recruit, um, you know, I was basically saying for those of you that are interested into going into some of the larger organisations, um, you know, it will be quite impressive to have that you've already done coaching skills on your CV um, because mm. if you're moving into a leadership role, they'll, they'll normally teach you leader as coach in there, but you're coming in, you've already got some of those skills. So it's a, it's a tick really for the CV. It's amazing. And, you know, I think that that, that is such a, um, I suppose, motivator, I think for me in, in looking at how we can really engage our students with coaching training and we're doing a little bit of that at Geelong Grammar School at the moment and running some pilot projects in some of our houses, our boarding houses, um, students coaching their peers, um, 11 students coaching your 10 students at this point. But I still wonder how much depth should we provide our students around coaching in order to be effective um, with peer-to-peer coaching? Have you got any advice on that, Susie? Yeah, I think, you know, in the studies that we've done with the students, you know, we've made it fairly clear when we often talk about this differentiation of coaching for skills. Um, Mm. So that could be a writing skill, like an essay writing skill, for example, Um, coaching for performance, which is broader, improving my performance in mathematics, perhaps as a subject. And then there's coaching for development, which really goes a little deeper into the psyche of the person. And we strongly recommend that it's, if it, you know, that that's really the realm of the professional coach going down into Mm. that deeper psychological space. Um, And, you know, to have the discussion that when you are, if you particularly, if you're going to be working with someone over a period of time and you've built quite strong rapport and I'm thinking here of the student to student, I'm not sure entirely how long they might be working with a peer for, um, Mm. but that might then, you know, open up where the student does talk about issues. So you do need to talk about mental health issues and appropriate referrals. So students, I mean, and we, as you would no doubt do, we ensure that the student counsellor, if there is a a coaching program, a more of a formal coaching program occurring, uh, that the student counsellor is connected in uh, and can be drawn on, you know, uh, if there are any issues emerging as well. And so when you've um, trained students in these previous studies Susie how how much training would they would they receive before they begin um, at fulfilling the role of coach I suppose right so we haven't technically done a lot of working directly with students I know Mm. Christian has we usually work with the teachers and the model that we've used is uh, and I'm thinking of the study at North Sydney the study at MLC as well Mm. um, and what's happening at Mount St Michael's at the moment is the there's the teacher coaches and then they come together in, in a lesson and yeah. the teacher coaches would give some information and education around what coaching is, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so they're teaching them the skills, mm-hmm. but then the students uh, pair off into their peer coaching. But there's always the teacher coaches monitoring, walking around. And look, one of the, the issues is you can ask them, there's different ways of pairing them up. I'm not sure how you've addressed that. And in some of the, you know, interventions we've been involved in, it's great if you get 
a, a pair that's working well. Sometimes that doesn't always work. And so it's always a tension of do we allow them to swap or is it better to stick with your peer over the period of time? And I'm, I don't mm. know how you found that. I don't know if I have the answer to that completely either. But generally there, as I said, we set an we asked them to set an academic goal and a personal goal just to balance it out. And most of them, you know, do keep it fairly, they don't go too deep. And I think perhaps because there is a teacher, you know, on site walking around mm. they're, they're looking at setting fairly realistic but stretch goals around their academic performance mm. and their well-being goals generally are around you know physical exercise or if they're a posed school it might be about implementing some of the other post psych interventions but they don't mm. tend to go into that area you know and i guess if that is made quite explicit to the students up front that there is mm. a differentiation and if there is if this occurs then you know, it's it's a counselling issue, not a coaching issue. And, you know, I think just that experience of fulfilling the role of coach alone and learning some of those key listening skills, um, seeing themselves in that supportive role, um, I think can be really powerful on in and of itself, I suppose, for, for some of our students. And just as it can be powerful when their teachers are sitting and listening to them and not, not advising them, mm. because I think one of the challenges, you know, we as teachers have is that we're so used to um, problem solving with students in a timely fashion that coaching is totally <laughs> counterintuitive to that because it's not about us problem solving, it's about us providing the space. And that can be a real shift in practice, I think, for teachers. Yeah, absolutely. Like we usually say, you've got to learn to bite your tongue <laughs> sometimes because yeah. you're so used. And really, what's driving that is you just want to help your helpers, your givers, you know, so exactly. you just want to help. And, and often it is the time pressure as well. So, I mean, one of the things we talk about is if it is a time pressure, you know, and, and or there's obviously if there's a duty of care, or if it's a time pressure, then it's a tell, it's not an ask. But that doesn't mean you can't come back later on or make a time with the student to come back later on and say, you know, when you approach me today, obviously we had to get to a solution fairly quickly, but can we carve out some time to talk through that again, reflect on it? Because the idea is, as you would know in coaching, is that then less likely to come to you next time. So, so mm. you know, they're more likely to have learnt through it and so that they have a, a, an approach or a solution next time. And we've had so many, um, particularly in the workplace, people when we've done coaching training, say oh you know I don't have time for this and I actually oh. remember one went around and I said how are you going and somebody said oh I just don't have time for this and rather than me responding to that I looked to this person's peers and said well what do you all think and and one man actually turned and and said we we don't have time not to do this like it's going to yeah. save us time in the long run um but yes it can be a little timely um and so that then as i said before comes down to is this the right time to coach or should it is it maybe possibly a tell on this occasion and i'll come back and we we coach around it later on and I think, you know, anyone listening who works in schools, who leads in schools in particular will know that that time, you know, obstacle is ever present and really is probably one of the biggest challenges they'll have in, um, in bringing coaching in. And I'm sure it sounds like it's the same in, in every organisation, Susie. And I think just shifting that thinking from coaching is time consuming, it's another add-on to actually it's, it's a practice which should save me time in the long run because it will um, provide the space for more powerful, effective, strength-focused conversations that enhance practice and probably, therefore, 
um, result in less inefficient conversations and in ineffectual conversations in the long run. Yeah, and I think that was one of our very early arguments of use, using coaching in particularly for educators, was that, I mean, as I said before, coaching has been used extensively in leadership and it is an absolute key approach in leadership. Teachers are the embodiment of leadership. Mm. So, you know, I was actually quite surprised when I guess became aware that, and, and I do hope it's changing, but, you know, as pre, particularly in pre-service training, that there hadn't really been any experience or knowledge or training in those coaching skills, which are key for leadership. Absolutely. And, you know, I think with all the work we're doing in positive education, with, uh, you know, coaching being a much more accepted, I suppose, approach within the school context, the best place really to begin is in pre-service. And, and I think we, we, a lot of us feel very strongly about that. So I know you've done a lot of work with the Masters of Coaching Psychology. Is that right? At, Su- at Sydney University. Susie, is that the name of it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah it's a Masters in... Uh, applied science coaching psych so I taught there for 10 years so that that was a great experience because the students that took part in my class which was applied positive psychology had already done two subjects on coaching so they had the they had the theories and techniques they had some coaching practice experience um, and then learning about you know the, the very broad umbrella of, of positive psychology they were able to think about which how can I utilize uh, positive emotions in coaching. So it's, it sits beautifully on top of it. But the challenge for us is when we're going into a school is we're trying to teach positive psychology and coaching in a fairly short period of time. So, I mean, for me, the ideal is that you actually have some of those basic coaching skills, as I said before, the micro skills, because, you know, what I often say, how do you how do you teach or how do you do positive psychology if you can't build a relationship with somebody? Mm. So if you think about, again, coaching really about how to build a positive relationship with somebody. And as we know, that is the the key to good teaching, that it is relationships are fundamental. And, you know, my father, who was a teacher for 40 years and a principal, used to say that to me before we really understood some of this science of well-being, that really relationships are key. So, yeah, I agree. I think that so much needs to be done in those undergraduate programs and in teacher training so that those core skills are already there and we can do so much more with the professional learning we offer in schools. Yes, um, it is. It's challenging though, Rhiannon, isn't it? Because I mean, there's so much content and pressure to, mm. to, you know, to get through that. You know, I know myself as, I guess, as a, as a busy person, even with the skills to have some uh, awareness and mindfulness of am, am I using a coaching approach? So, I mean, if, if a school's really serious, I guess, about building a coaching culture, having your internal coaching champions to have ongoing, I guess, supervision, have some time out to reflect on practice. Uh, I think at Loretto Turek, we, we put people into, we call them coaching triads, if oh, you yeah. like, three ways where there's an observer and the observer can give some feedback as to what you're doing well or the areas that you might want to focus on. And I think, you know, being kind to ourselves too, because most of us have good intentions, but I think the busyness of life <laughs> um, and the pressures can get in the way. Yeah, absolutely. And we, as much as we might know the right way to respond and the right way to have a conversation with our colleagues and our students, then, you know, <laughs> very often we're not, we're not doing that and we do need to be kind to ourselves. You're very right. That's right. 
So, Susie, you do so much amazing work in schools, in organisations, um, in really helping propel the fields of positive education and positive psychology and coaching more broadly. And this is through your work with the Positivity Institute, which seems yeah. to me to be going from strength to strength. Could you tell us a little bit about what your focus is at the moment? Yeah, I think for me, there's never just one. There's always plenty of no. <laughs> <laughs> Um So uh, with the schools, obviously, that's something that, as I said before, is very meaningful. Although we don't, we our preference is to not do one-off workshops or presentations. We prefer to have a relationship with the school and work with them over a period of time. And most of the schools we've worked with, they've been at least one year to four years, for example. And to be honest, I think the research supports this. It takes about four to five years to see that cultural change. And and we have a POSED checklist, which again, if anyone emails us, we're happy to send its POSED implementation checklist. And um, it's about no, 10 pages long now. And often when I said that to a school that's at the beginning of their journey, they come back really overwhelmed with, oh my goodness, there's so much to do. And and there is, if you want to really do this seriously um, and you want this to be sustainable, and that is going to take time. That is going to take four to five years, which I know Geelong's been doing this a long time now, and it takes time. And because again, for it to be, um, as I said, uh, sustainable, it needs to be bespoke for your school so you've got to work what's going to work at your school and but that's the power in it as you would know in in it not just being a program so we we still work with the number of schools in and we provide the training we do some positive consulting to support them post that training as I said before we've got a number of uh, larger programs in the workplace that's probably our largest piece of work and we do still do a lot of training around well-being around resilience Uh, we use the mental toughness concept which is you know is not purely, uh, strictly speaking, resilience, uh, because there's a component of it called challenge, which is about really people not waiting for the curveballs to come, but proactively stretching themselves for their, you know, growth and development. So right now, that's the area I'm really interested in is rather than waiting for the curveballs to come, how do we actually, and I guess you can use goal setting to do this, and it's been used historically to do this, is how do we actually think about who we want to be, how we want to live our lives and really self-actualize as Maslow said and how do we create meaningful lives. So I've just returned from uh, Europe and I gave a couple of uh, presentations in Denmark on meaning-based coaching and I wrote a chapter on that last year as well. So I'm particularly at this stage of life, Brianna, I'm very, very interested in leaving a legacy, what makes our life meaningful. And I I am also interested in, and I'm seeing, observing that before it used to be that sort of midlife crisis where people would start to think about what makes life meaningful. But I'm so inspired to see younger people, and there's many examples worldwide now, of young people that want meaning and want to make a difference in the world. And that's something I'm real. And obviously for them to be able to make a difference in the world, you know, their investment in their well-being is not a selfish endeavour. It's ultimately about so that they can go out and make a difference in the world. Absolutely, Susie. And I think I've spoken to you before about that 
for me, um, as I've evolved in the in you know my understanding of positive education more and more, and the and the work that I've been doing, particularly with our Year Ten students at Geelong Grammar, my focus and our focus has been more and more on what difference am I going to make in the world? Really, that's what it should be all about, and we want them to be well enough and functioning well enough to be able to make a difference in the world. But then it's very much about about that contribution, um, and through that deriving a sense of meaning and having a sense of purpose and um, yes I've been I'm doing a bit of study around purpose at the moment so everything you're saying is resonating with me (laughs) a great deal yeah I think you know this is what it's all about isn't it you know I think it it really does come back to those pro-social goals and um, you know I, I was thinking as you were speaking before that that coaching again is such a wonderful vehicle to help young people and adults really um, yeah cultivate a sense of purpose and a sense of direction and through that meaning in life really so absolutely and I, I mean the chapter I wrote was more focused at um, senior leaders coming towards the end of their career and thinking about the legacy that they want uh, and I guess the coaching in that sense it's using a professional coach that is doing what we would call development transformational coaching allows them to go deeper in exploring, um, I guess, their values, re- reviewing a life review, um, doing some planning for the future, and then how do they leverage their strengths as well. So that re- self-reflective space that coaching can provide can be really powerful Um, And look, you don't have to be at the end of your career. It can be at any point Mm. in in your career. And I think the only other point I'd want to make, and I think there needs to be a bit more research. I know Professor Will Damon, you probably come across, has done a lot of work on the development of adolescent purpose. You know, I guess as much as we talk about it, you know, without putting too much pressure on a young person, because we want them to be curious and open. And I know myself, my life, course and career courses gone in directions I could never have planned. So in coaching, I and mean, this is one of the, I guess, issues with, that people have about goals. So when we talk about goals, we usually say the shorter term goal, you can make a shorter, uh, with a short time frame, a little bit more, you know, it's okay to be a little bit more specific around what it is. But the further you go out into the future, you want it to be a little bit more fuzzy and you don't mm. want to be overly attached to it because you've got to be open to other in this world, the VUCA world, volatile, uncertain, yeah. complex, and ambiguous. You want to be open and, you know, agile to be able to pivot. Is a term mm. that's being used a lot at the moment. So we want our young people to be psychologically flexible, have a sense of their values, which I think I'd like to see more work done on in adolescence. But yeah, not too much pressure that I should know what my purpose is. That Absolutely. would be my only point. Yeah. I agree. And I think, again, through my, you know, the, the learning through my um, work with young people is that often they'll say, I'm too young to know what my purpose is. Don't ask me that. And, yeah. and maybe not explicitly talking about purpose and what's your purpose, but giving them the space yeah. to explore. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And through that, really um, understanding a little bit more about, yeah, what are my values? What, what matters to me? And therefore, what goals can I set around that? Yeah. Absolutely. And what makes for a successful life, you know, because the whole, I guess, definition of success needs challenging, potentially, I would argue for young people, because there are many ways to have a successful life. Um, And I think that discussion, and I remember speaking to some public school principals a number of years ago, and when I brought up that topic, they all looked at each other and said, there's no space in our timetable where students have these conversations. So that's wonderful if you're uh, providing that space. 
I think, well, that's, I think POSED does provide that space. So once again, it comes back to can we carve out some time, you know, in the, in the busy timetable to be having these kinds of conversations without assessment and, uh, you know, um, those kinds of overarching objectives hanging over our heads. So, yes, those of us who can are very lucky to be able to do it. And I could speak to you forever and a day, Susie, about everything. <laughs> I will make those um, references and those links that you prov- that you mentioned available to our listeners. And I just really wanted to say thank you so much for your time and for everything you do in such a generous, authentic way for for schools, for positive education and for the broader field of positive psychology and coaching in general. Oh, thank you, Rhiannon. And it's been a delight to um, have worked with you in various capacities over the years and also just the, you know, the amazing leadership that Geelong Grammar has had from the very beginning. And I feel very, um, you know, honoured to have been, have a little part, uh, you know, connection with Geelong along that journey. That goes both ways. So thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please feel free to refer to the fact sheet, which is available on our website at www.instituteofpositiveeducation.com.